Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we, we ask that that would be so of us, that our lives, not just what we say, but how we live and everything that we do would be a praise to your glory and to your grace. I pray now as we open up your word, I pray that, oh God, you would speak boldly to our hearts, that we would receive and welcome what you have uh, for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit that enables us to understand and to welcome what you have um, revealed to us through your word. I pray today, oh God, that you might cause us to be truly thankful for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I suppose um, it would stand to reason that we would interrupt our Zachariah series because I thought it might be good to take uh, an emphasis on Thanksgiving since it's Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, so I was, uh, as I was thinking about what we would we would talk about this morning, I thought, well, I'll turn to the Psalms, because if I'm looking for thanks, it's probably a good chance that it's going to find it there. And that's probably what you do as well. When you turn to the Psalms, you know that there's many uh, Psalms that are written, that are referencing Thanksgiving. But there's a particular Psalm that I was looking for, hunting for, and, and I actually turned to the wrong Psalm for what I was hunting for. But as I was reading, I thought, why don't I just stop right here? Because this is a great psalm, and it's about Thanksgiving, and the Lord captured my attention. So that's, that's the, um, the basic explanation of why we're looking at Psalm 118 today. And uh, a little known fact, maybe by some, is that it's the very center of your Bible. In fact, verse 8, Psalm 119, Psalm 118, verse 8, if you want to be very particular, is exactly the center of the Bible. There are the same number of verses before it and the same number of verses after it, and it's uh, it's one of those interesting facts that maybe no one will ever ask you about, but now you know. And so Psalm 118 is such a great psalm. I'm not going to read all of it. In fact, we read some of it already. But, you know, it just starts out, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And it just sort of grabs your attention. And then his love endures forever. <clears throat> Very few people can we say that of. But the Lord promises that his love would endure forever and let Israel say his Lord endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. Let Calvary say his love endures forever. Do you see that in the text there? No, you didn't. But it's there. Those who fear the Lord. That's us. And so this, this psalm just grabs you. And you're reading down and you're, you're realizing, you know, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. That's right at the center of your Bible. Isn't that interesting that that's the center verse in your Bible? I should point that out. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. That's the center of the scriptures. That's a good, good verse. And so on and on it goes. And, and you keep reading and, um, you know, you get to verse 19. It says, open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Yet we're really clicking along here. And then all of a sudden we come to verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, or better translated, the cornerstone. Rosh Panah is better translated chief or corner stone. Um, that's what it means. And you're like, wait a second, we were clicking along, and now all of a sudden something's rejected? What? 
And of course, you've, you've seen that verse before, haven't you? You've probably seen it multiple times. You've heard of it before. Maybe you can't put your finger on it right now other than you can Psalm 118.22. And it says, the Lord has done this. It's marvelous. It's in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So it's no accident what's going on here. So it caused me pause. I, I thought to myself, um, everything's going along so well, and then lurking in this beautiful Thanksgiving psalm is some sort of sinister piece of unthinkable treachery. Because builders don't normally reject the very best stone. It doesn't make sense, does it? You're not a very good builder if you reject the chief cornerstone. Because the cornerstone is that stone that lines everything else up. Why would you reject that? From the scriptures and through experience, one of the texts that has always been um, uh, sort of an emotionally stark verse is, ver is Romans 3.11, which says, No one seeks God. And, um, you know, when we think about that verse, of course, we think about lost people. They don't seek God. We think about ourselves before we came to know Christ. We didn't seek God. We've talked about this throughout, throughout our studies on salvation. We didn't seek God. But I got thinking about it in the context of this particular scripture text and what I have to bring you yet, and I thought, this has a a deeper and more profound meaning than, than for us just to look around and say, well, they don't seek God. No, no, it, it's, I think if you read it this way, no one seeks God. Or maybe we should say it this way, no one seeks just God. But everyone uses God. Whether they know him or not, they are using God. It's the grace of God that allows anybody to walk around and breathe or to have food or to have this Thanksgiving weekend. People who don't know God are using God this weekend. They don't seek him, but they use him. Most religions outside of Christianity systematize and organize the using of God. That's what they're about. They somehow pay homage to whatever God for what he will give them. They use God. And so when we come to Thanksgiving weekend, we throw around the terminology, we're thankful. Well, what are you thankful for? As I looked at this text, as I thought about this weekend, I have one question that I want to address this morning. It is this. Are you thankful for Jesus or are you more thankful for what you get or hope to get from Jesus? Now, I know you're going to answer that question really quickly, but we have about 20 or 25 minutes to think a little deeper than that. So let's take a look into the Word of God this morning and deal with that question. 
because our world is full of grace robbers who are gold diggers. And then there are grace lovers who are God diggers. Which are you? It isn't until A.D. 33 or thereabouts, historically, that Psalm 118 finally jumps out at us and puts flesh and bones on itself. If you uh, will, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew 21. Keep your, keep your one finger in Psalm 118 or a marker or something because we're going to come back there regularly. But it's in Matthew 21 that actually Psalm 118 is explained to us. It's the story of when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. You know it. It's the last week of his life on earth. It's called the triumphal entry. In fact, the people are using the language as Jesus rides in on a colt, rides into Jerusalem. People are using the language from Psalm 118, not accidentally, of course, by the providence of God. They are saying things like in verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Psalm 118. Hosanna in the highest. They're praising him, acclaiming him. They get out their songbook, their hymnals, and they turn to Psalm 118. And they're all rejoicing at this festal procession because that's what Psalm 18 is all about. It's a, it's a festal procession. It's a it was a, a, a psalm that was used when, when God's people were marching to Jerusalem. They were ascending up to Jerusalem to, to celebrate, to, to, to worship God, to praise Him. But as with so many things, they didn't actually read what... They stopped reading before they got to verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, Lord, save us. That's what they're saying right now. They skip. They skip 22 and they skip 23. They skip 24. They go to 25 and say, oh, Lord, save us. Oh, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord will bless you. And then they stopped once again. The Lord is God. He's, he's made his light shine upon us with, with bows in hand, joining the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. This was a song whereby they were coming to offer sacrifices. The horns of the altar is just a description of the, of the, of the sacrificial altar, and there were protrusions at the four corners of the altar, and, and it was to, like it would act as a ledge of sorts to keep the sacrifice on from, going, from falling off. And, and so they're talking about this sacrifice and here we have this, this great horde of people who are, uh, the big buzz is, is, is about um, Jesus coming and, and what he will bring to them. Hosanna! But they left out the full order of worship. They left out the place of sacrifice. They left out the capstone or cornerstone that was rejected. They ignored that in their haste to praise Jesus 
for the agenda that they personally had for him to liberate them from Rome. They were all excited about Jesus. The, if, if, he's the, if he's the Messiah, we're good with that. And what we really want for him to do for us is, to, is about liberation theology. We just want him to, 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 to give us rescue from Rome so that we can live free and do whatever we want. We don't really want Jesus. We want what he will bring to us. And how do we know that? Because it was only days later, in Matthew 27, a few more pages on in my Bible, where these very same people were making catcalls for crucifixion. The same people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, are now shouting, crucify him, crucify him. How do you go so quickly from there to there? In the same way as Psalm 118 warns us, Oh, thank the Lord, for he is great. His love endures forever. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. This is marvelous in our eyes. See, there are many people who praise Jesus until they discover that his agenda is not the same as theirs. It's not what they had in mind. They did not look for a Messiah who would turn to them and say, now it's your turn to get on the altar of sacrifice. Wait a minute, we, our, our, wait a second. Our agenda was that you would bring us escape from Rome. That's all we wanted from you. We weren't expecting that you were going to turn and ask us to make our lives into a sacrifice to offer ourselves to you, to pick up our cross and deny ourselves and follow after you. That's not, that wasn't our agenda. When I was um, in high school, you ready for this? Back in the early 70s. In fact, I started high school in 1969. I'm looking over here. These guys are like, 1969, that's ancient history. 1969, I started high school. And uh, I don't know if any, any of you had this in your high school, but we, ha- we had it in ours. We had a, a Christian club. It was called ISCF. Anybody have that? Okay, there's a few of you. Yeah, it's still around. ISCF. And, of course, it, it wasn't cool to be an ISCF. I don't know if you're like me, but I wish I could, have, I wish I could do high school all over again. I would live differently. But anyway, it wasn't cool to be an ISCF. And, and, and so we had a high school of about 1,200 people. And uh, there was usually six or seven in the Christian club. And they were usually nerds. But God loved them. And like I said, I wish I had a chance to do high school all over again because I would have loved them too. Except for one year, 1972, I'll never forget it. It became cool to be a Christian. Did that happen anywhere else? That happened in Guelph. In 1972, there was like this revival in our high school. It became cool to be a Christian. 
and all the cool kids started to become Christians. And, and so um, the ISCF group in 1972 looked like this picture you're going to see right now. It wasn't six or seven. It was a mob of kids. And that's not even all of them in the picture because I kind of hung out there then too. And I'm not in the picture. I just didn't show up that day. But, but here, and, and there were way more. There were way more people than that. And, and you see, when the cool girls started to become Christians, guess what happened? The cool guys followed them in. And we were all walking around and we were like lifting our finger up like this because that meant one way, you know. We were all like one way. Yeah, man, it's cool. We're, you know, long hair, freaks, our, our tie-dyed shirts and our, and our bell-bottom jeans. And yeah, 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 that's, we were cool. And it was all one way. One way, yeah, Jesus. The next year, 1973, that's the group. This phenomenon happens over and over and over again. It happened in the triumphal entry. It happened in 1972 at Guelph Collegiate Vocational Institute. See, the agenda wasn't Jesus. It was cool kids. It was cool girls and cool guys. But they weren't there for Jesus. And that's the way it was for the rest of my high school, six or seven kids, real Christians. They don't want Jesus. These people didn't want Jesus. They didn't want the cornerstone, rejected the cornerstone. They wanted the building. So. Um, the next day, Jesus is teaching in the temple courts here in Matthew 21. And he decides that he would stay on theme, Psalm 118. Makes sense. The people were in that mood. So he starts to tell and teach a parable. The prophetic clock had been awakened and Jesus is now going to describe a fuller picture of the psalmist's builders here. Who are these builders that are referred to in Psalm 118 verse 22? Describes them in this parable. Listen, Matthew 21 verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He asks the assembly that was around him, and they answer. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. 
They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. So these builders seem to be unaware that they have graciously been granted land, not of their own, owned by another. In return, they are to serve the owner and to give him gifts in kind as a thanksgiving for allowing them to to work his land. When he comes to gather the gifts that are rightfully his, sending messengers, they kill the messengers until one time he decides to send his son and his son arrives and they kill the son that they might have the land. Jesus says to them, by the way, Pharisees and teachers of the law, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They're really bright guys. He had already said, I... Verse 43, uh, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And they deduce, he's talking about us. These builders decided that they would rather trade the grace for ownership. They decided that they would trade thanksgiving for selfish keeping of the gifts the land yielded for themselves. They become masters of their own domain through an act of treacherous thievery. This treachery knows no limits. Their selfish rejection of God's grace moves them to murder the son of the owner so that they can keep his gifts for themselves. This is the state of our world. Do you realize that everything that you have and everything that anybody else has in this earth belongs to the Lord? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We're all tenants, we're all renters. And the vast majority of the world are grace thieves who reject the grace of this tenancy in favor of ownership. There are people who appear very religious but trade grace for selfish independence every time. 
They don't want Jesus. They want his property. They are robbers and thieves. They steal, kill, and destroy. And the Lord God says to them, do you not realize, you who reject grace that leads to life and choose independence are choosing death? And you are destined to be crushed when this stone falls on you? And if your agenda is not the Lord himself, you will trip over Jesus and be broken to pieces on your way to your agenda? Do you not realize this? What about us? Is Jesus just an agent for what you really want? Or is he who you really want? That's the most important question. When Jesus was about to complete his earthly time, he said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he said this, in my Father's house are many rooms, yes? I go to prepare a place for you. Now many of us who like HGTV would stop him right there and say, um, Jesus, could you please describe the rooms? Is there a king bed? Is there a jacuzzi, personal jacuzzi tub for me? What are the amenities? What do, you, what, do you, what do you have to offer in these rooms? Because I'd like to know about the rooms. Do you notice there's very little discussed in the Bible about heaven? And Jesus doesn't say anything more than, in my Father's house are many rooms. If I go and prepare you a place, I will come and get you that where I am you may be also. The, the only thing that Jesus emphasizes is relationship. The, the great prize for, for all of us is God. The, the prize is Jesus. They had an agenda. We want released from Rome. If Jesus brings us that, we're, we're in. The others wanted ownership. We, we want to we have all of this to ourselves. We want all the authority for ourselves. And Jesus says, don't you realize that, that the great gift of God through Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, is that you might be restored to a relationship with Almighty God. That, that, that our hearts are empty until we are returned to the God who made us. The great prize of thanksgiving is not all of the, the accompaniments to Jesus, although they are wonderful. It's not our food and the provision and, 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 and family even or anything else. The great prize of thanksgiving is that we might not overlook or reject the cornerstone 
Uh, the one who brought us into a relationship forever with the living God. That's the great prize. It's so easy for us, lurking in our own hearts, to get distracted by all of the wonderful things that God offers and lose in our hearts the one thing that really matters, and that is a relationship with the living God himself. I go to prepare you a place in my father's house. You're going to ask me about beds and jacuzzis? Are you serious? It's the father's house. That's where the father is. And I'm coming to get you so that you'll be with me. That's why there's so little written of heaven. We get so lost up. We'd be, we'd be just just gazing at it and, and, and we'd be drawing little pictures and arranging our furniture, how we're going to have it and all that. We'd, we'd, be, we'd be lost in all of that. It's, it's Jesus who's the great prize. And so in this psalm, in Psalm 118, look, how, look, at, what they, look at what they say in verse 19. Open for me the gates of righteousness and I will enter and give thanks. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the door of righteousness. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Jesus is the prize. We would say, oh, no, we get heaven. We get eternal life. We get the, every blessing in Jesus Christ. No, no, you are it. All of the other things come with it. But you, oh, Lord, must captivate my heart. Because if Jesus doesn't capture our heart, he will disappoint us. What am I talking about? Because his agenda is usually different than our agenda. You've all lived long enough to know that already. And the people who leave him, and they are leaving him in droves, have left him because they purchase Jesus as goods and services. He was just a commodity to them. He was something to get something else. And the salvation salesmen love to sell that kind of Jesus. Come to Jesus and you will be healthy. Come to Jesus and you will be wealthy. Come to Jesus and all your problems are gone. None of that's true. And if that's why you came to Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. The first time you're sick... The first time your bank account tanks. The first friend that walks out on you. The first family member that dies. You're going to be disappointed with Jesus and you're going to leave him. Unless he is the prize. We will give thanks to you, O God. See to it that, that my brothers and my sisters this morning that there isn't lurking in your heart some treacherous agenda that is ignoring or rejecting the cornerstone because you want the building. They were builders, but they rejected the one stone that mattered. What are you and I really longing for? The fad follower crowd wanted something from Jesus. If they could just get that, freedom from Rome, wow. 
would we ever follow Jesus? And the builders of religion and the humanists who are building their own lives without God, they want ownership and authority free from God. They don't want grace. They want God's stuff. So let me close with this. If you could just have your health and your material comfort and relationships and children and eternal life to the degree beyond your wildest imagination, if you could have all of that, but you couldn't have Jesus, would it matter to you? If you arrived at heaven, in heaven and the streets were paved with gold and there was everything you ever dreamed of and imagined but Jesus wasn't there, would it matter to you? That's the point. Jesus is our thanksgiving. If you get all of that and heaven and Jesus isn't even there, would you still be fine? Our Father, this morning, we thank you for examining our hearts, for helping us to examine our hearts. We can have a lot of celebration around us, a lot of festivity, a lot of agendas, all of them, all of which you are expected to bring to pass. When in fact, O oh Lord, you want to be our agenda. May we not be builders who reject the one stone we must have, the cornerstone. For I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand together for prayer. Brothers and sisters, as I have reflected on life for quite some time now, and as I try to merge it with what we have been taught today. I am convinced that we live our lives in the here and now, facing our pains and deprivations at times to finally clarify our affections. When we look around and say, what is the Lord up to? The Lord is weaning our hearts off of this world and helping us to clarify our affections because it is those who love the Lord Jesus Christ who will be welcomed into the gates of his righteousness and into his holy presence forever. That's why Jesus said to his disciple, Peter, Peter, 
Do you love me more than these? That's the clarifying question for us, brothers and sisters. The psalmist closes the psalm in 28 and 29 this way. You are my God. And I will give you thanks. You are my God. And I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, Calvary, for he is good. His love endures forever. Oh, God, we thank you this morning for the lesson you have taught us. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for allowing our hearts to be distracted, to overlook the cornerstone, in some cases to reject, to prefer ownership, to prefer, to prefer authority, to prefer our own agenda. And, O oh Lord, how easy it is for our hearts to long for the desires of this world, for our affections to be stolen by the material. And, oh God, all of these wonderful things you have given to us are cause for thanksgiving. We freely admit that. But, Lord God, may our heart's true thanksgiving be you. May it be Jesus Christ who is our thanksgiving, I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.